0: Love Talk Radio. This is Saida Garrett, and I'm tuned in to Intro to Info with my girl Makisha. You're listening to Intro to Info with your host, Makisha from DC. That's me, open-minded, business-minded, spiritual, a little hood, and very nerdy and down to earth. And Queen of Hearts from Florida. She's so ladylike, family-oriented, quick-witted, and a real pillar in her community. On our platform, we discuss anything imaginable, but we talk a lot of pop culture, current events, and speak on our personal life experiences. We interview fantastic guests with unique stories, and Lord knows we just have organic fun. And check this out. If you want to join in on the fun, call in at 515-605-9376. We are live on Saturdays from 9 to 10 p.m. EST on the J. King Network. If you are an info for info, tune in to Intro to Info. Welcome to today's episode of Intro to Info. What's up, y'all? I'm your host, Makisha, broadcasting live from the Washington, D.C. area. So glad that you could join us, whether you are listening live or via the Archives Podcast. And we are on the J. King Network right here on Blog Talk Radio. On this network are many fantastic shows, and take a listen to all of them. And like I always say, if you feel like you have something to offer a radio show network or a podcast, you start your own show. It's really fun and a fantastic way to meet new people who will stay in your Rolodex as they they have with me. I've been hosting a show for 10 or 11 years, and it has been rewarding for more reasons than one. I mean, you learn a lot, especially when you tackle subject matters with guests that you don't know much about. It's an education to you, and you're also teaching people who are listening. And uh, it just its a gift that keeps on giving this holiday season. So speaking of that, a happy holidays to everybody. Tamika, I see you. I'm going to take you off mute. Thank you for being here. Hey, girl. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. My stomach's holidays. Growling. Uh, happy holidays! I hope that uh, the stomach brown doesn't come across on the um the phone. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I gotta eat something.
1: <laughs> oh, I hope not either. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> All right, y'all, this is Tamika, Tamika and her fan base, here she is, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Without further ado, Tamika is here. All right, <laughs> so. Our special guest, Mercy, Mercy Me, his name is George Brooks. He's a mental health advocate, writer, public speaker, and CEO of the nonprofit called Meta Association. He's been living with mental illness since age seven. He's lived through abuse, weight loss, surgery, childhood obesity, many health issues, addiction, divorce trauma, custody battles, raising a son with mental illness, poverty, and started a nonprofit. Um, George, I just want to take you off mute now. Of course, say welcome to Intro to Info. Thank you for giving us an hour of your time. But reading that, I will say, does kind of take its toll on me. Even when I showed Tamika some of your stuff earlier, she said this is a lot for the morning. So (laughs) we're ready to get into this with you, but it's a, Uh a heavy subject, particularly because we have a black man that's about to speak on mental illness. So welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, and it's a pleasure to be here, and I hope everyone's having a
0: blessed uh, uh, day out there. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, this reading this was yes. something else. Um, thank you for the candor that you're about to give to us. And anybody who's listening via the link, if you feel like you want to call in with a question or a comment, our phone number is 515-605-9376. But, George, let's take a seat and just jump right into it.
1: All right. Let me
0: start. Um, I do know that in many cases mental illness can be hereditary. Was that the case for you? Right.
2: I believe so. I believe there there's definitely a genetic component to many instances of mental illness, uh, especially in a black community. And, you know, one thing I am happy about is that we as a diaspora, we as black people, are finally starting to have these kind of talks because it's long overdue. And we we, we have to really realize that not addressing our mental health, not addressing our trauma, not addressing those family secrets that we know we all have it has hurt our communities. As a man, it's hurt our relationship with our women. It's hurt our children. And, and. Some people only understand what I'm about to say. It's hurting our pockets. It's keeping us disenfranchised. So we really need to kind of start dealing with these things. It's going to be a long road. It's going to be generational to heal because it was generational to get to this point. But uh, I'm just doing my part, Uh, just doing the best I can to try to help my people out.
0: You said that it's keeping us broke. Could you elaborate?
2: Right. Right. And this is one thing I've learned personally in my path of healing. Um, Especially with men, Uh, I'll speak from the standpoint of a man because that's what I am, but I found that not dealing or having mental health issues or emotional issues or strife that I'm not dealing with, it affected my my ambition. It affected my focus. It affected my career, and it really was minimizing my income potential for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, I've I've, I've had a rough past 15 years. This year has been particularly rough. And I'm in a process of healing right now, and I've noticed that since I've really embarked upon that, you know, I've gotten more opportunities. So that's why I draw the correlation between our economic, you know, prosperity and us really being healthier people because the sick people cannot
0: prosper. Wow. Thank you for breaking that down. I never thought about it from that standpoint. Um, And thank you for also uh, just kind of confirming the fact that sometimes mental illness can be hereditary. Because George, right. I really think that before people co you know, before people procreate with others, we need to be asking certain questions like is there mental illness on your side of family? Is there longevity, hypertension, diabetes? You just lay down with these people and don't even know what right. you could
1: possibly Hey, you know?
0: right. right. Yeah, it's, fun. it's, it's funny.
2: You know, you have to go through a certain amount of regulation and licensing to drive a car, but anybody can procreate. And anybody can just procreate with anybody. While that's their freedom, we need to start putting, especially as men, we need to start putting more thoughts on where we put in our stuff. Because a lot of times, a lot of times we have these issues. We have these incomplete families. We have these fractured families. We enter into that. So we have to be more mindful about not only who we have children with but who we lay down with in general. Uh I'm I'm old fashioned. I don't believe in, you know, going out there and just being promiscuous. So, you know, we have to be very selective about that.
0: I I agree. I agree. Now, I read in your bio that you have uh suffer uh since age seven, I'm curious because I've known many people with, you know, bipolar and schizophrenia and, and, and this, et cetera. How, how often out of a, I don't know, day-to-day basis are you impacted by the mental, mental health, if you will?
2: Uh, literally almost every minute of every day. Uh, my diagnosis is Bipolar 1, Disassociative, disorder, disassociative Identity Disorder, and uh, that's it. And the thing about it is I'm also an insulin-dependent diabetic, and I treat my mental illness like I treat my diabetes. I just have to monitor it. I have to manage it. I have to stay on top of it. And I have to understand that, you know, in, in my life, there are going to be good days and bad days, but I have to balance you know, how I live, who I'm around, what I'm doing with my illness. Uh, I have to think about how it's going to be affected by it, what, what is it that's going to be tolerable for me and what's going to be healthy for me. So, you know, in terms of my mental illness, the way I approach it and the way I tell people approach it, just look at it like another health issue. Look at it as something you have to manage to stay on top of.
0: George, Yo, you breaking up.
2: Okay, is that better?
0: It's a little
1: shopping.
2: Okay. You need me to repeat what
1: I just said? I can hear you fine, George. Oh, Natisha, you oh, okay. are kind of breaking up. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: Good.
2: Yeah, but as far as mental illness, it's, just, it's no different than any other health condition. Uh, like I said, you have to educate yourself on it. Uh, we all should be more educated in the terms of mental health. And one thing, too, one distinction I do want to make, is that you don't, you know, I don't only address mental health, I'm learning to address emotional health. And the two are not mutually exclusive. They are different, but they are linked. So, you know, even those of us, especially in the black community that may not be dealing with a diagnosable condition, we still have to be conscious and address our emotional and spiritual health as well, because the two are definitely linked.
0: Okay, emotional health versus mental health. That's very good. And that, that's for anybody. That's for right. anybody who's living. They need to address the emotional health because we all have it. Some people are able to put their emotions a the day and not let them control them, and then others lead with emotions. So I think that's a fantastic kind of outlook to have and way to navigate. That's great, George. Um, right. You mentioned – I, I know um, I'm familiar with the characteristics of bipolar, but you mentioned another. Is this You said dissociative. What is it called, and, and what are the traits of, of this one?
2: Right. Right. Dissociative identity disorder is typically caused by childhood trauma uh, based on the readings and research that I've done and based on my experience. And what happens with that, whenever you may be triggered, whenever uh, you may be in a stressful situation, Uh, you may get into a state where you feel like you're floating. It's not that, it's not that you're hearing voices. It's not that you're a danger to anyone, but you feel a sense of detachment from yourself. And in talking to other people that dealt with it, they think it's the mind trying to protect itself from further injury. So, uh, you know, I look at dissociative identity disorder as a coping mechanism that the brain instantly just goes into. Uh, it's a defense mechanism. But by dealing with, you know, trauma and things like that that are really at the root of it, uh, it, it becomes more manageable. It becomes easier to deal with. It becomes, you know, a little bit easier to navigate, which which helps living a daily life because, you know, most of us with with uh, mental illness, let alone bipolar, you know, it's a challenge when you living every day. It's a challenge being able to hold a job. It's a challenge being able to maintain relationships because of the nature of the illness. And when you compound that with the other issues in the black community, you know, we have a powder keg. And that's why so many of our, that's why so much of our relationship with our women is so fractured, uh, not dealing with trauma, not and trying to embark on relationships when you're not whole yourself. So that's something I really want to encourage people to do is to try to work on themselves so that they can have more beneficial relationships with everyone in their lives.
0: Truly. Um, you know, and I, and I want to say something to us black women, that when a man does become vulnerable, because it doesn't happen too often, don't in turn either laugh at him or mock him or use it against him in the future. Right. That's a huge part why men just have this very like stoic demeanor, because they've been teased. They, right. They've admitted that. So I just want to say that to us. Yeah. Okay? yeah.
2: And I'm going through some things right now personally that that I'm addressing this issue. A man has to feel emotionally safe with a woman. Uh, if he doesn't, then that's gonna come. That's gonna impact the relationship. And oftentimes, you may have a man that that gets to where he can open up a little bit. Problem is, it's just as you said. You know, when that when that when that confidence is weaponized against a person, when you get mad, you know, yeah. something like that, that destroys a relationship. So you know, as far as as dealing with black men and turn dealing with black women, you know, let's try to be more conscious and, and receptive to hearing about each other's feelings, but don't weaponize them, because when you do that, like I said, you you have a tremendous you know detrimental impact on your relationship. So that's something we can we can fix. It just takes a change change in mindset. And so there's some things happening culturally with our people that I don't like that I'm seeing, and uh, we 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 have to we have to stop that because we're talking about generations here.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Tamika, come in, chime in with any questions and comments you
1: have cuz I can and will go on and on. <laughs> this is this is great and and like you said I did I looked at your interview earlier on YouTube and not even 5 minutes in I was like, "Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. this is this is different. Um but I'm I'm glad that you're able to you kind of come through some of your obstacles. You're able to speak out. You're able to encourage people, um, and I like that you have the awareness to understand that there are things you can do to change right. or you help yourself. Right. You know what I mean? You'd be your be right. your your best advocate, um, right? And a lot of our, I guess, health issues. Um, I like to say that. They aren't necessarily hereditary. Some of it is just the behavior that we know. You right. know, it's if your grandmother is. ate yeah. pig you know, your mama ate pig feet, you ate pig feet, then that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? Right. That high blood pressure right. is going to be there because you chose to follow what you already know. So,
2: Right, um, right. Just right. We, got, even... we got to break the... Yeah, we have to break those cycles. We have a lot of cycles in the black community in yeah. terms of our families. And and we have to understand, you mm-hmm. know, just because you had Big Mama all your life and she raised you and she raised you in the church, you know, that don't mean she necessarily knew the correct way to impart things on you. And a lot of times those relationships that we hold dear, especially a lot of the patriarchal ones and, and matriarchal mm-hmm. ones, are damaging.
0: And mm-hmm. it's not because yeah.
2: our parents or grandparents were intending to be damaged, but they only can do what they can do. And once, once now that we have the knowledge to do better, it it it'd be a sin for us not to, because a lot of us are damaged by relationships, uh, by 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 how we were raised. You know, we weren't always raised. I don't want to say not raised right, but there are things that could have been done or things that were done that have impacted us. Have impacted us. And we, you know, mm-hmm. it's time for us to unpack that box and start to clean that up. And that that involves. Yeah. A daily progression. Uh, early this year, I was homeless, had a heart attack, went through a bad, you know, break up, just, this year was hell. <laughs> and, but, you know, I still try to be yeah. resilient in everyday work on myself. It's not easy. But that's really what, what, what I think is holding a lot of us back, as people, especially as men, because... You know the the only way you can really show true vulnerability and facilitate any healing is to be accountable for yourself for for what you did to contribute to your situation, and that's that's the first thing and hardest thing to do. So if we can just take baby steps wow. and 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 work with people and get people to really work on themselves. Everything will improve. They might not be perfect. It might not be optimal, but at least you know people can hopefully gain a sense of peace because. You know, I was at a point a few years ago uh, when I went through my divorce, you know, I was coming off addiction, mental health was screwed up, physical health was screwed up, and I went to go try to get help. And they didn't have the resources to help me, and I I made a promise that day that I don't want to see any other black men be in the position I'm in and want help and not be able to get it. And that's why I started my nonprofit, because I'm really about trying mm. to help people, because I've been there, and I feel like there's God's purpose for me, so that's what I really try to do.
1: That is awesome. I, I applaud you for recognizing that you needed help. And Right. I always have a thing where self-care is 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 such a a trendy topic, but I don't think mm-hmm. people really understand what that means. <laughs> yeah. Um and right. if you got to be happy with yourself, you know what I mean? Um, You got to be able to look look in the mirror, right, Mm -hmm. and at yourself. Like, how can you really – can you stare in the mirror at yourself for five minutes and and not judge and not – you know what I mean?
2: Right, and not beat yourself up and still hold yourself accountable because there was a point, you know, where Mm -hmm. I literally could not look myself in the mirror. When I was deep in the throes of an eight-year cocaine addiction – uh, my mental health was out of control. My physical health was out of control. I got down to 140 pounds. I was literally wasting away and dying. And until I get, get mm. to the point where I can look in that mirror and say, George, only you can change you. That's that's when things yeah. started to kind of matriculate. And, you know, that was, that was maybe, what, six years ago. And right now I'm not experiencing some transitions in my life, so I'm still dealing with them. But I'm better equipped to deal with them now That I was five years ago because I put the work in. I got into therapy. I've been in therapy kind of on and off for five years. Um, I take accountability for my actions, and I try to do things to change them. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be mentally healthy. But, you know, you have people that, you know, will obsess and go to the gym and be meticulous about everything they eat, but yet they don't see the value in talking to a therapist. And that doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. to me, so that's kind of where where I'm at with things. Uh, I know therapy is for everyone, but, you know, it's, it's, it's needed. And one aspect I want to speak about, too, is the spiritual health. My relationship with God helped me out a lot. You know, it really did because I ran from God for so many years, and the way it kind of happened was beautiful because it happened at the right time. And that gives me a lot of strength. So I know there are a lot of non-believers out there, and that's fine, too. You know, you don't have to. But for me personally, you know, my relationship with God and my faith has been key to my
0: recovery. George, if you could detail that more, I would, because it, we are, this, on this show, we are some believing people, okay?
3: right. Right. <laughs>
2: Well, I, you know, before, I mean, when I was younger, you know, I, I'm a bit of a nonconformist. And, um, you know, I think I ran from God because I got a lot of pressure coming up in terms of my mental illness. It was always you don't pray enough, you ain't go to church, and, and that kind of foolishness. And the reason I call it foolishness is because you can't address your spiritual health without addressing your mental health and vice versa if you hope to recover. They go hand in hand. So you know, and 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 that's one thing I had to learn. And I think all those years I was searching for something, a relationship with God, but I was letting my relationship with God be defined by those around me instead of doing it myself.
3: You know, and once
2: I got to where my relationship with God, no one else's, so no one else can dictate what it looks like it's or easy. how I approach it, it became easier. I began to pray every day. I began to feel better. I began to read the Bible when I could, and, and that really helped solidify the other healing that I was doing clinically and physically. It's a 3 approach to, to recovery, the mental aspect, the spiritual aspect, and the physical aspect. Now, there are probably more, but those are the three core principles to, to really embarking upon recovery. And if I can espouse that and speak on that to my people, uh, that would be beautiful. Uh, I'm very transparent about my experiences and what I've been through. And the reason I feel that that comes easy for me is because God put me through these trials to help people. He didn't just put me through it just to go through it. I'm going through it now with some stuff. So, you know, I try to take it as I want to use my trauma and my pain and what has hurt me and what I've allowed to hurt me to try to help other people. And through that, I heal. I feel better. So it's a beautiful thing for me.
0: That's, that's great. Yes. And never do we go through something and it, it's futile. Um, a lot of times it is to help and to serve in some way. So, George, you, you're a deep person. You're intelligent. I could tell that um, you're passionate about your nonprofit and all the things that you're doing to uh, just be an advocate for yourself as well as others. And I would love for you to right. speak more on your nonprofit, what it is that you uh, do. Okay. Well, uh, I tell you how I was born, and this relates to what I just
2: said. I was on the couch one day about six years ago, and I was coming out of recovery and, and going through a bad divorce and the cuss kind of stuff. I was just really catching it, but I was fighting. Uh, and I was talking to God, and this really was one of the first times in my life I ever felt like I talked to God. But I asked him, I said, "What, what, what do I do?" At that point, I I been on disability. I hadn't worked in ten years. What do I do? And He put it on my heart to start a nonprofit. And in my life I've studied many different religions and appreciate and love them all. Uh, but I picked NETA M E T T A, which is a Buddhist word to mean to include all. And that's what I want to do, despite the fact that I'm taking care of home first by dealing with my people. I do wanna eventually branch out and help all people. And that's really where that came from and, and uh has been around for about five, six years. Uh we survived the pandemic and you know, I've been able to do some things like uh hold a couple of events and whatnot, but I've got my board of directors in place as of this year. Uh, we're getting up for a big ne- big year next year in terms of grants and doing programs and things to really just get out there and get in the community and get our hands dirty. It's just been difficult the past few years with the pandemic and the economic crisis because so many of my friends that have nonprofits, they're not around anymore. But you know, I figure if, if I'm still here and i still got it going, it must be for a reason, so I think my purpose is true.
0: And where are you based again? Uh, I'm based out of the DFW,
2: (laughs) out of the Dallas area. I'm originally from Memphis. I lived there the first 30 years of my life, and even though I I live in uh, Texas, I'm still very involved with things in Memphis in terms of helping my hometown out and helping the community, and I hope to do some work, uh, you know, with the municipality there to to start some programs to help with the crime. Uh, It it saddens me that every time I hear about Memphis it's something negative. And, uh, you know, I still have a son that lives there, and I want to try to make my hometown the best it can be, especially in terms of dealing with mental health. And um, Dallas has been wonderful to me, and I'm trying to help out here too, and I want to help out, you know, people across the world if I can. At least if I can make somebody feel as though they're not alone, that they keep going, then okay, because that's the hardest part. That really is the hardest part in your recovery.
0: That's why I asked because however I can insert. Myself to help somebody who I know that you will be able to help. Um, I want to be able to send them your way, and um, I, I, I remember. Yeah, so that that was my purpose in that because the fact of the matter is there are young black men who suffer from mental illness, and so what specifically have you done for that demographic to assist, help them along? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I'm actually, I actually teach uh, the school program, so I'm involved in that way directly with the youth. Uh, I've created a, uh, a program for young black men, usually about eighth grade. That's what I noticed, that our, our young men typically kind of go one way or the other. So I designed a course for them. It covers things like emotional health, uh, chivalry, even things like dealing with police to try to give our young men a better foothold and and some standards and some pride and some morals and something that will help guide them. Because even if they don't have a mental illness, being a black man, you're going to deal with a lot of challenges. And we have to be better equipped to help them and have them better equipped to deal with those things. So that's some of the things we do. Uh, but I do a ton of public speaking. I do. Uh, we've done a food drive one time. Uh, just whatever I can get involved with, and whoever I can partner with uh, to try to help. That's what I'll do. Uh, but I'll be honest, running a nonprofit is 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 not. It can be profitable, but it has been, has not been for me because I've just been about the work about the purpose, but now we're at a point we need to have those things fiduciarily so we can actually implement and and, and, and get some programs going. So I'm looking at grants, I'm looking at donations, whatever i got to do to keep this machine going, because I feel like if I keep it going, somebody will be helped. Somebody will be helped, and that, that's really what's important to me.
0: You know, several times on this podcast you've mentioned what you're currently facing. So I really want to do kind of a pulse check, a well-being check, and just ask, how are you? How is the man? I'm
2: fighting. I'm processing. I'm healing. I'm moving. I'm thriving. Uh, Even though things can get rough, circumstances and, 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 and situations we cannot control, we have to persevere. You have to keep moving. You have to keep going. That doesn't mean don't feel that pain. That doesn't mean don't react. That doesn't mean that your feelings are invalid. Address them. Deal with them. Face them. Be present in your pain. But you have to try to keep moving. And the thing about life, worry about setting goals and not plans because plans change but goals don't. So that's one thing that's benefited me greatly. But I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, I've got a lot of opportunities. I actually preach for the first time in the mall, which is blowing my mind. Uh, and, 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 you know, hopefully embarking on a, a new relationship that's beneficial. So, you know, things are going good, but I just have to stay prayerful and keep going because every day is not easy.
0: Yes. We need to be mindful of those who are in positions where they constantly helping others to do a pulse check on the one who's pouring out so much and make sure that you're being replenished. And I hope that you have in your inner circle people who are replenishing and just talking to you and making sure that you have what you need because we all need each other. We can't just pour out to other people. My pastor right. tells me this. A, my, right. It's funny. It's I'm going to just say this um, for the um, female versus male pastor dynamic. The male pastor, this uh-huh. is not that they don't deal with it. My female pastor is quick to say, hey, I need somebody to pour into me. I'm pouring into all y'all, child. I'm tired. I'm drained. Right. But the male pastor has more of a, like I said, a stoic, uh, approach to it. It's just interesting in that way. But George, and let me have you answer that question. Do you have people in your life who make sure that you're okay? I,
2: I'm
0: I'm blessed over this year, even though it's been uh, been
2: a firework for me. I I have good friends. Uh, you know, I have I have people that I can call, even though I know sometimes it's tiring on them dealing with all my stuff. You know, but I do have people that can call. I do have people that will check on me. And and like I said, you know, I'm trying to start a new relationship, and that's that's going well. And I I feel pretty supported. Uh, Of course, I'm always looking to make friends. I make friends easily. Uh, I'm the type that will check on you and and things like that. So I do feel supported. But, you know, through that, I'm able to support
0: others. So it's, it's mutually beneficial. So it's good for me. I'm good. Okay. All right, great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I just got off of the air with my big brother and I see that he's on I know he got your hand raised. I'm about to bring you in, bro. <laughs> Michael Gay is here, everybody. Mike, I took you off mute. Come on, jump in here, bro.
3: Hey, good evening everyone and Good uh, evening, how are you sir? Late, uh, I had a I had a few calls I had to make. You know, you know I uh sis I have to talk to my co host uh after the show, you know, because I'm I'm very open to of of, um, of constructive criticism after every show, okay, and I get a lot of it. So, but anyway, I like what my brother said, is of uh, where he said, "Uh, you know, plans change, but goals don't." That's right. very interesting, and, and and that's very true. You know, um, right. you can have a plan for something, but your goal should always be that. You know, and right. things do change. You know, I've had a lot of things I've planned on doing and and all of a sudden gets put on the back burner, but you have to still keep your eye on the prize. I'm sorry. You have to still keep your eye on the prize. You still have to look at that goal, you know. Yes, sir. You know, I hate the term at the end of the day. I hate it when people say that, you know. But at the end of the day, I hated that term, you know. (laughs) But, you know, there's the end of every day, but there's always tomorrow. But how do right. you handle tomorrow compared to yesterday? See what I mean? Right. You, know, you have, to, you and have again. to
2: present in a moment, yeah. I think sometimes mm-hmm. we get bound by, by yesterdays and tomorrows. And I think this is something I'm learning to overcome just in the past few days. Uh, we tend to catastrophize, which I do. Uh, we do tend to think about the past and worry about the future. And we should really try to do neither. While I, while I say we should be mindful of both, but we have to be present in the moment because that's really where our problem comes in. We we lose focus on what we're doing at that time, even if it's just sitting and breathing. Exactly. We don't enjoy the moment. We don't live in the moment. We're worried about everything else. And by doing that, you're not living. You're just worrying. You know, you, you, mm. you're just stressing. So, we, you know, one thing I try to do, even if it's in my pain, I just try to be present in it and deal with it. And, and, and not, not necessarily focus on it to the point where it works to my detriment but feeling enough where I can, I can get through it, where I can get past it. So it's important that we are present in our moment to be mindful of what we do. That's not only good for our emotional health, it's good for our efficiency. Uh, it makes us more mm-hmm. productive. So, yeah, I mean, this 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 mental health game and those black folks, it's so many layers. There's so many layers of that onion. we got to peel back to really get to something to where we'll really be in the people that God intends us to be. Because right now we're not. Our communities are so just, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know the word for it. And it's interesting that
3: you said that, though. I'm sorry, but I was going to say that it's interesting that you said that because I saw a program the day that a person said, uh, it was a show I saw about corrupt cops, right? And this one also said, you know, you have to understand something, is that one decision in that moment can change your life. And it goes back to what you say, your moment, living in the moment the decisions, things that you do within that moment can have an effect on what happens in the You're future. Liar. And no. that exactly. right and and also can have an effect on your past. Believe it or not. Oh yeah. You oh, know, yes. it can have a, a a ripple effect of the future and the past of the individual of who you are and that people perceive you to be. Right. right? Exactly. Or or thought exactly. you were and be like, Oh, I never knew he was like that you know, well, right. no, you made a decision at that time in the present that people are going to look at you, were well, probably that way in your past, and so on and so forth. Sure. You know, so I really appreciate you saying that, you know, and that's what we need to really, you know, look at. I have to look at it every day, me personally. I look at what I'm dealing with every day, and then when I come home, I'm like, okay, what did I really accomplish today? right. You know, Right. And not as far as what I accomplished for my job but for myself. Exactly. What did and, I and
2: learn? I, I, and I add a perspective on that with me being bipolar. The thing is, uh, being bipolar is absolutely exhausting because with hmm. with bipolar you have racing thoughts and they don't slow down. It's not that you're hearing voices. It's not that you're delusional, but those racing thoughts that come with the manic phase of bipolar. Uh you know those that that can literally wear you out, and managing that is difficult so what i one thing I've tried to do is when I do have more of a manic phase, I' try to be more productive, so that way when it does when the pendulum does swing the other way, I'm okay so and I say that to say that we have to find ways to manage each of our conditions, whether we have a mental illness or not, and we all have some sort of condition, whether it is a diagnosable one or whether it's a it's a trigger or whether it's a result of trauma, we all have something to deal with. But you know, oftentimes, you know, we as people, you know, we, especially as men, we're taught therapy for white folks. You know, we 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 were raised like that, and that's just not true. And by holding on to those stigmas and and those those preconceived notions, all we're doing is impeding our own process. We're stepping on we're stepping on our own feet, because you know, the enemy ain't the white right man. Okay, yeah, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Racism exists. We know that. But what can we do on ourselves first to try to mitigate that, then we can deal with that. We're doing things out of order, I believe. We're not dealing with home, we're not dealing with self and we're expecting the world to get better for us and it just just does not work for that way. Work that way. At least that's not how it's worked for me. You know, until I dealt with self and, and really and, and I'm still doing it. I mean, there's still so much I'm learning. Until you deal with self, you know, the external world is still gonna be what it's gonna be. So we have to strengthen ourselves and strengthen our communities spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, in all ways to try to get better, so we can have a good life.
0: Yep, absolutely, uh, George. I like the fact that you're like a dichotomy between a strong man who also is in tune and in touch with his emotions. That's uh, right. uh that is matter fact. To the same thing, as much as people holler about a total alpha male. The most popular male is actually an alpha male with beta traits. So that's kind of what that is, like the acknowledgments of both sides, that that strength as well as that vulnerability is.
2: Well, actually, I took a test and I'm I'm considered a sigma male. And, you know, there's sort of a, a mix between the alpha and the beta, but, you know, a lot of it is. You know, because I studied a lot of stoicism. I studied a lot of philosophy, and I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm 45, and, and one thing we got to stop doing, too, to our young men and young people is making them feel like you got to, you know, by the time you're 35, you're supposed to have to figure it all out. No, no. It doesn't work like that. You know, everybody's different. And we cannot hold ourselves to the standard of the next person. All we can do is be our best selves and only compete against ourselves. And I think that's where a lot of pressure comes in, especially for us black men, because we're we're expected to be providers. We're expected to be this. We're expected to be a certain way. And while some of that I think is valid, a lot of it isn't. A lot of it isn't. Because what are we basing it off of? We're basing it off of another culture's idea of what our love is supposed to look like, and that's wrong. So, you know, I I know I kind of stepped in the deep water on that one, but I'm just going with what I feel right now. So
3: it's important. Well, you know know what's interesting is that where – now, I'm I'm not afraid to share how I am, you know, and uh, we don't give a damn how folks feel. Me personally is that where there's, there's times I can get so upset about something I don't know if it's in, in, in my family genes, or things, but my father always had a, a a a habit of when he was mad, he'd bite his bottom lip. And right. you knew he was mad. That was that was a telltale sign, Oh Lord, somebody's in trouble. I was right, my father right. he oh, two grown men one time as a kid. You know. Right. But for me, sometimes when I get upset, I might get kind of emotional where I might well up because I'm mad as hell and I'm really mm-hmm. thinking of being very violent at that moment, you know what I'm saying? It right. really explodes but I'm holding it right. back. I really am trying my hardest but for some reason and I and I ask myself, why do I do that shit? <laughs> you know, right. because I'm too hard to hold back because you're really making me mad <laughs> you know, and you yeah. really you really don't want me to really react in the way I want to. You follow what I'm right. saying? There are exactly people who, well. will, who will tap, who will do. They got certain things about themselves that's holding back that anger. Me, I sometimes right. will well up because of that anger that is in me. See what I'm saying? Of mm-hmm. where right. you really need to quit. You need to leave me alone, you know, because yeah. if you can keep going. I, I, I might black out on your ass. Use my language. You know what exactly, I'm saying? exactly. And a lot of folks have yeah. that type of things, and 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 they don't understand it. And I still don't understand it because I question my, my, myself. As I said, I'm like, why do I get to this point that I have that type of reaction within myself? Well, a, a lot like, of that, you know,
2: that is due to the fact, yeah. A lot of that is due to the fact that we, especially as black men, are not taught to deal with our emotions. We're not we're not allowed to talk to them. We're not allowed to to show them. We're not allowed to express them. So they come out in anger. They come out in, in promiscuity. They come out in addiction because we haven't developed healthy coping habits as, as a people or normal coping habits where people can cope and deal with their emotions to where we don't have those instances because I have a temper. You know, I've, I've never put my hands on anybody. I mean, I'm out of breaking some stuff, but broken some stuff. But, you know, I, I, I'm starting to realize that anger is because I'm having a problem expressing what I'm feeling. When you cannot express or don't know how to express or or am trying to find a way to express any emotion, a lot of times that'll manifest itself in anger. I see it in children all the time if you see children uh that are maybe five and maybe not verbally where they should be, they cry a lot. It's not because something's yeah. wrong with them it's not right. because it's not because they're bad kids it's because they haven't grasped how to express what they're feeling, so that's how that comes out you know so mm-hmm. so we're, we're we're basically old children. And when we can't express ourselves, it leads to frustration. It leads to anger, you know.
3: Yeah, well, I see it every day. I see, I mean, uh, uh, which which my sister knows, you know, I'm, I'm a manager in a retail uh, uh, facility, a very well-known one. Yes, sir. But yes, I sir. see it all the time is where kids, uh, uh, I mean, there's not a day that goes by I don't hear a kid crying in the store. Not a right. day. And I'm talking right. about on a regular basis, and I'm like, what the hell is going on now? You know, well, and then I look yeah. at the reactions of the parents of how they handle that type of situation. Now, as a kid, I could not cry. So
2: mm-hmm.
3: upset right. about anything. I don't think any of us on this panel has ever had to, or, or who has ever been able to sit up there and have a temper tantrum on a store. But it's a regular thing now. It's acceptable. And we ignore the fact that this child is crying out over something not about just that toy they want, but this is something that's going on elsewhere, too. You what I mean? That's true. There's something else involved. Well, um, you know,
2: know, one thing in terms of dealing with our kids, um, I I had a pretty emotionally abusive relationship with my father. Really kind of, really screwed me up. So I decided at a young age when I have kids I was going to do everything to be the antithesis of that. And one one thing I do is I make sure I talk to my kids, not just talk to them, talk with them. Don't talk at them. Get to know them. Find out okay. what their feelings are. Let them know. Mm-hmm. I just have talked with uh, my youngest son uh, on Thanksgiving about, you know, being open. And, you know, if you need to talk, if you need to express something, get it out. If you got to cry, get it out. Don't hold that stuff in. And a lot of parents aren't doing that. So that's why, you know, when the, the, that's why the kids are so emotional. That's why they are so – that's why bad things happen when, when kids get to a breaking point because they have not been taught or have not been provided a safe, healthy place to let those emotions out. And we really got to start creating those spaces for our children and for ourselves and our communities.
3: Hmm. That's very true. You know, um, I totally agree with you. And and I, and, and again, I see it and, and, and I start wondering in my own mind, like, what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. with that child? Right. Side of what we're seeing, see, you know, because a lot of times we're like, that's a spoiled child. You no, know, there's something right. that started that whole process of them able to to express themselves in this manner and not being giving a uh uh i guess a a, 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 a as you just said uh open avenue to talk to uh right. tell you what was going on they're being right, spike and, and,
2: yeah. and i've tried to, ahead i've ahead. tried to provide that for my two sons i've got a eight i nineteen year old son's bipolar. And
3: it's been really—he
2: was diagnosed about age seven. It's been hell, uh, not because of him, but because of his illness. You know, some of it is his own doing, but it's been challenging. And you know, we have to seek peace. You know, we have to—we have to surround ourselves with people that give us peace that we can let that let that pressure off to talk, to get those emotions out. If you got to cry, cry. If you got to yell, yell. Just don't hurt nobody. But let this stuff mm-hmm. out, process it, feel it. And we we just so far removed from having that in our culture, and I'm just really seeing how it's impacting us, you know. And, and, and I see it with our kids. Like I said, I'm an educator. I teach kids every day, and I see it all the time. But we got to stop providing safe places where people can express themselves and deal with their emotions. And it, it more like a mental gym. We need places where people can go and work their mm-hmm. stuff like. You know, we really need things like that. And that's something I've been thinking about and something I may want to start maybe in twenty twenty five. I can find the right investors and some things like that. There's some definitely some things I want to do for my people in that regard.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I think, Jordan,
3: that, you I think miss- that everybody wants to do something, you know, because I think everyone um you know, knows someone that might be bought by bipolar. Someone I think mm-hmm. everyone knows yeah. so, someone that has something uh, deep inside that they're not expressing that, or, or they're not sharing, not having right. that uh, avenue to to uh, to share that. You know what I'm saying? To, yeah. to let folks know that hey, this is what I'm dealing with and everything. Um, when you speak of bipolar, I I I know a few folks who have said I'm bi- bi- bipolar. Some folks. For for the listeners, if you don't mind, can you share? You know, how is it diagnosed? How is it? how's it being treated as far as right. individuals who are, who are dealing with being bipolar?
2: Right. Well, uh, let me, let me reiterate, you know, bipolar is characterized by extreme mood swings uh, from, from the manic state where you can experience uh high energy, uh, reckless behavior, hypersexuality, all those things. And it can go to uh, extreme depression. I think my longest depression was a year. And, um, mm. You know, it's, 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 you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> it's really difficult because even now in my life, you know, if I'm having a good day, if I'm in a good mood, the first thing somebody's going to ask me is, am I manic? And that gets to be frustrating because it's like, wow, I can't have a good day without having to think about it, but that's just my reality. And it's mostly treated with, um, you know, a cocktail of, of pharmaceuticals. Uh, usually a mood stabilizer, antidepressant, and there's one other element that escapes me. And uh, I know for me it took about 10 years to find a cocktail since my diagnosis that actually worked, but they've changed so much, and I've been on so many different things. You just have to be on top of your medicine and just understand you have to take your medicine. You have to go to therapy. You need to just the spiritual part because so many people just want to do part enough or, or just do enough to treat their bipolar mental illness. They think if they just take the pills, that's enough. No. They think if they just talk to somebody, that's enough. No, you have to really endeavor to keep yourself going. You have a chronic health issue. It's just not one that's apparent. I have a heart condition. I have to take medicine for that. I have diabetes. I have to take medicine for that. I have a mental illness. I have to take medicine and deal with that. And, um, you know, it's difficult. It's tiring. It's hard. You know, but, you know, go go mm-hmm. to your doctor. I think people should have a mental checkup once a year, just like you have an annual physical. Go talk to a therapist, too, at least, even if it's just three sessions. Just see what comes mm-hmm. out. What may be lurking beneath the surface that maybe you may not be aware of, but it's having an effect on you. So, you know, it, it, being bipolar is very exhausting. It's tiring, um, but it's manageable. It, it, it really is. It just takes a lot of work and a lot of support. And that's why I'm trying so hard to destigmatize mental illness in, in in my community first, so that we can have these discussions and get some things in place to help people heal. Uh, because without discussion, you know, every uh, uh, revolution was sparked by our discussion. And to me, this is okay. no different. This is just my revolution.
3: And and last but not least, I have to ask you a question about. Uh, as you well know, there are folks are saying, well, medications are just uh, you know. Uh, is just something that 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 is just a an answer you know to a deeper problem you know i don't mm-hmm. trust doctors i don't trust you know the medicines out there i don't i don't trust all that you can get a uh, uh, uh you could take uh certain herbs and this and, that and the other you know natural mm-hmm. things i don't have to deal with uh, these these uh these uh, medicines. What do you say to those folks who, who have those type of? Uh, they they're
2: they're they're woefully misguided. They're woefully misguided. and They're dead wrong, because
3: mm-hmm.
2: with a mental illness, it's not just that you have something on your mind and you went through something. It's like you have a chemical imbalance. I had a CAT scan mm-hmm. one time. They took a picture of my brain. They said it next to a picture of our brain was was not was no bipolar. It's a difference. It's medicine. Mm-hmm. You need it. You have to correct that imbalance, that chemical imbalance. You have to stabilize your mood. I think that's the most foolish thing when people say, I'm not taking meds. But you take everything else you want to take. It's a lack of responsibility. It's a cowardice because it's part of your recovery. It's part of your life. If I'm a diabetic, what would people say to me if I said, I'm not taking insulin anymore because I don't trust medicine? I'd be dead. Okay, It's the
1: same thing.
2: We got to get over this, I don't trust doctors, I don't, but you trust your hairdresser to tell all your business. You go to the barbershop to tell all your homeboys. You mean tell them you can't talk to a trained professional? Okay, well then don't, but that's your life. That's your bag. Just don't let it affect somebody else. If you don't want to take responsibility for your mental illness or for your life or for whatever you got going on, even if it's not a mental illness, that's fine. But don't be surprised when your life is unfulfilled because you're not dealing with your own stuff and you got somebody telling you. Man, you got—we all got stuff we need to deal with,
3: but it's a choice well, whether you well, deal with it or not. No, uh, no I, I agree with what you're saying, it, it, right? Because you have a choice in the matter, right? And and right. and you have certain options. Correct. Right. I didn't say. I'm just saying that there's some, and the only thing you know, I'm just saying that where you know you have certain folks that have a certain opinion about things, I just wanted to hear your response to what right, some people right. I may mean, You know. know, uh, you know you know of uh, I mean, that are definitely yeah, against exactly it they're, 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 well, I was just saying there there was a story I just mm-hmm. saw where this young young man who was definitely ill uh he was ill and and their family had a certain belief in religion of where you know no medication, no nothing, but the young man died, and now the parents are on trial for his death right. because they did not get any help right. whatsoever. You know, so Right.
2: And it's um, and it's just like you know, everybody has a choice, everybody has an opinion. Do you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my thing I would tell anybody. If something makes you happy, mm-hmm. you do it. But be prepared for those consequences. You know. Correct. you, you, you know, we all have free will, we all have free choice, but that just like free speech. We all have free speech, but that doesn't mean we're free from a uh, reprisal. That doesn't mean we're you're free from consequences for what you say. So yeah, if you make a choice, that's fine. Just make sure you're making an informed choice. Making sure you're making a choice that that you deliberated on, that you did your due diligence on. Just don't make a haphazard uh, anecdotal decision because my grandmama took blood pressure medicine now she did, so I don't take medicine. That's that's silly. That's juvenile, that's immature, and that's cowardly. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: George, would you say that you can really tell the difference? Um, I, I'm guessing that you don't go without taking your your medicine, right? Right. I, I typically don't.
2: Now there's sometimes because I've been on such a I've been on some heavy stuff, and you know I will say this about medicine: the side effects are a booker bear. They can be, but you know that's why a lot of people say they don't take meds. But that's when you work with your doctor and try different stuff. But I, I'm I'm usually a stickler for my meds because I recognize the place that they hold. They're not there to cure the disease. What I have is not curable, but it's treatable. It'll help treat it, but it won't cure it. It'll help make me more manageable. So that's how you have to look at it. So, you know, a lot of people that have a mental illness or even other conditions, they think as long as they pop feel, pill, it's okay. No, you have to do the other work involved, too. Healing is not just one thing. Healing is just not clinical. It's just not holistic. It's the whole person.
0: Absolutely. I want to go back to your son when you said that he... um is also bipolar and you said that he gives you hell. Or he has given you hell. Do you see a lot of yourself uh, in him? Oh, too much. <laughs> I think that's why
2: I've been a i have been I think that's why uh I I've been able to kinda to deal with this because I've had custody of him and all that kind of stuff and I see so much of myself in him, not just because he's my son, but because so many so many aspects of the illness are universal with all of us that are bipolar that I can recognize them and, and their appearance to me without me having to do much digging. So yeah, I see a lot of myself in, in in uh in my son and in other people that have been diagnosed with bipolar in terms of their behavior. So yeah there's a lot of parity there.
0: Uh George, what is the best thing you can do in addition to medicine and therapy?
2: Wow. Get your spirit right. Whatever you believe, even if you're non-believer, get, get something greater than yourself to believe in. That's, that's, my, that's my advice. Find you some faith. Find you something. Uh, like I said, if you're not a believer, study philosophy. Find something else that will help get you grounded that you can use to center yourself when things get rough. Find that. Two, be honest with yourself and patient with yourself. Trauma, just, it, it, trauma can, can can be instilled in an instant, but it takes a lifetime to deal with. You can see something that only takes three seconds, then it can scar you for life. Be patient with your healing. Don't rush it. Don't make a plan. Be active, but don't. And third, just try to be good to people. Because so much of, of, of what I derive joy from is what I'm able to do for other people, and it gives me a point and a point of reference to heal myself. So, you know, if you're going through something, try to volunteer to do something where you're outside of yourself, and I feel like that will benefit many people. So those three things
0: I think are helpful. Great. I, I do have a couple more questions. I know we're coming down to the top of the hour, but I'm, I want to get them in. And, um, you know, all right, so what do you do on a bad day?
2: Oh, man, Okay. The thing about mental illness, I think we need better labor laws to allow people to take mental health breaks because if you have a diagnosable condition, you're going to have more bad days than good days at times. When I have a bad day, I, I try to keep going and do what I do, do what I have to do, go to work, take care of my responsibilities, but I do more resting now. Uh, I, I I try to do things that I enjoy. I'm a huge fan of retro video games. I, I'm a huge wrestling fan. I try to, in, 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 you know, get around that. I try to get around uh, a person that's very special to me, um, you know, where I feel safe and just rest and just let me be in my feelings. That's what I do on bad days. I, I learn to pump the brakes and give myself a minute to give myself for what I'm going through, and and that usually helps and that helps things about bait, bait and it helps things pass. So bad days, I, I just I simply gotta pull back and rest.
0: Okay, and. My last question, and after we do that, I want you to give your contact information and how people can find you on social media, uh, is what's sure. a telltale sign that someone has bipolar?
2: Wow. Um, and this could typically be categorized with any mental illness, but uh, telltale signs, let me think about that, because I'm thinking about when mine was officially diagnosed, what were my signs? Uh, if you start to drink too much, if you start to use intoxicants because you're blunting the pain of what you're going through and you're you're scared, that's a good sign. Uh, for men, this is a huge one. I just thought of it. When your hygiene slips, that's when a man is usually going through something. If you if you notice you got a guy friend and you notice he's not using that degree like he's supposed to or he's kind of letting his hair go or, or something like that, that's a telltale sign that he's going through something. But in terms of bipolar, it could be moments of hypersexuality, um, could be rapid speech, elevated mood, and it'll go back and forth. It'll go from being extremely high manic to being extremely low, and they can't really find a middle ground. So those are some of the signs. There are many because everyone is an individual, but uh, those are just kind of the three main ones that I've noticed. Okay, perfect.
0: If somebody wants to follow you on social media or reach out, how can they go about doing that?
2: All right. Well, they can reach me on my phone, probably the best way, Uh, 901-631-4300. You can call me or text me there. I'm looking for collaborations with other nonprofits. I'm looking for public speaking engagements, preferably paid. Uh, willing to travel, willing to negotiate, whatever i got to do to get the word out, disseminate what I have to offer and offer my testimony and help people outdo it. So that's 901-631-4300. You can email me at GBrooks, that's G-B-R-O-O-K-S, at Uh, MetaAssociation.org. MetaAssociation.org will have a new site launched by the end of the year where you can contact me. But you can reach me on Facebook. I'm up under George P. Zantier, George P. Brooks. Um, you know, send me a friend request if you if you need help with something. Shoot me a DM and I'll get back with you. So, nine zero one six three one four three hundred. George P. Brooks. I'm sorry, George Brooks. I'm sorry, I messed up again. G Brooks at metaassociation dot org, or you can hit me up on Facebook under George P. Brooks.
0: This interview was the equivalent of a slam dunk. You were amazing. I have to go back and really real. listen to get all the nuggets because you're just that passionate and knowledgeable about this subject and candid and candid. So I appreciate you giving us an hour of your time right. right here on intro to George. I want to tell you to keep on keeping on. This too shall pass. I know it's a bit of a storm, but the rain is going to turn into sunshine. And you have inspired us all tonight. Appreciate your time. Keep going, black man. Keep going. Thank you. Thank
2: you so much. Thank y'all was such a blessing. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you guys to everybody who's listening. You tune in to Intro to Info. I'm your host, Makeisha. Michael Gay is here. Tamika is here. George P. Brooks was our very special guest. We're be back here same back time next next week, nine to ten PM Eastern Standard Time. Hey, if you're if you are um diagnosed with any type of Anything, because George isn't just limited to bipolar. He spoke of diabetes and, and other things. Don't suffer in silence. Get help. Manage it. Take care of yourself, because if you don't take care of it, it may take care of you. And on that note, we out. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night, everyone.
2: You know?